time theory, maybe. yeah. <laughs> who owns the data? The person who has the data on their disk? Huge data monopolies control the whole market. We aim to put it under one bulk of the data alliance bounty. How huge is this data set? Terabytes. Space monkeys blasting off with a bunch of data nerds from the Polkadot ecosystem. We have Pavla Mead. She is the data platform lead for Parity. Kareem Jetta the lead data engineer, James Bailey from Subquery. We have Dimitri from Subsquid, and Allison, Bob, Tommy, welcome back to the show from Pocalytics. It's really, really great to have you all here. Thanks for being on Space Monkeys. Hello. Big, dumb question to start. When, when we say data, what do we mean? What do you mean? It's stuff that we know, it's stuff that's useful to us. So we think about things and we try to make sense of the world. And so data is the basic for knowledge, right? So you have data, you have information, you have knowledge. You take data yeah. and then you, and data can be anything that's like the zeros and ones on a computer. It can be like scale codec on, on the polka dot chain, like very, very low uh, level. And then you try to get information out of it. So basically I was sending you money, yeah. right? And then knowledge is maybe like even higher level where we had a transaction uh, you bought me a beer, I sent you some dot. And data is basically our endeavor to extract information and to extract knowledge out of that. Yeah, I can add that yeah. uh, data is meaningless without the context and the structure. So in order to, like, to get any sense of the data, you need to understand uh, what it describes, where it comes from, and also how this data is structured. So if it's just some random sequence of zero and ones, this bits, uh, this data is basically useless, it's just like white noise. But if you have something that is called a schema, you know that, okay, this is a field that represents a name, this is a field that represents a surname, yeah. then you can make a lot of sense. So for example, you can say, okay, this is probably a person or like a wallet. So uh, that's why I think it's important to talk about data and metadata. So metadata basically describes the context and the structure. If you cannot measure it, it doesn't exist. And I think this, this is something that we are all trying to do, like measure uh, based on hard facts whether something is working or not working in, in our blockchain space. So it, it brings that sort of comfort and reliability when you can kind of prove or disprove some hypothesis you have or kind of just measure whether whether uh, stuff that, that is being built is working. So. so for all of us here, data is the raw ingredients that we kind of operate with. Yeah. But what we're aiming to get here is, is as you said, you have data, knowledge, and then, you know, insights. And we're trying to drive our ways up that, that, that hierarchy. So we all process the data from the blockchain, and in our cases, we're talking about Polkadot's data. Data from the blockchain, terabytes of data from many different parachains and the relay chain itself. Yeah, yeah. And from that we're trying to derive and organize that data, or organize and aggregate the information to be able to derive insights from it. So to be able to understand what does this mean? Because there's a large amount of it, and most of it's meaningless, it's a noise versus signal relationship. What does it mean and how does that relate to the questions we're asking of this ecosystem? Yeah. Interesting because this is the only open real-time economic data set. You know, it's, it's super interesting 
to have access to that type of information. Right. But it's also very challenging. As James said, a lot of noise and it's hard to derive real economic and human activity and real value that is, that is uh, derived from within the blockchain space. In the banking industry, data is kind of like behind a bunch of firewalls and gatekeepers, right? Yeah. But you need special access to, yeah. to see uh, it. Challenge there was kind of um, a lot of legacy systems, a lot of old technologies that have been existing for decades and how to derive uh, all of that into kind of common common space where you can report on, on multiple source systems and, and get reconciled with the general ledger, which is only one, it's not distributed and it's never like single source of truth because there's human activity and human error involved. Sure. So you have that aspect of data cleansing and data quality, which doesn't exist in, in, in blockchain, at least at this raw, raw level of data interaction. I've been working in politics. Yes, I was hoping you'd say so. Uh, what, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, I was working on a national level and so when you're in national parliament, you have access to the national voter file. So this is a list of every person that is eligible to vote with their name, address, and birth date. You see that? I had a full list of everyone in Austria being eligible to vote. Do you see how they vote? No. Okay. No, you can't see that. Uh, and for example, in the United States, you can even say, did they go voting, yes or no, in the past? Oh. In Austria, we don't have that, okay. but you have a voter file. And then you need to make a decision of, we have a budget to send out 100,000 letters. Do we send it to 100,000 people? Do we send two batches of 50,000? So this is one decision you need to make. And then who do you want to send it to? So who is most likely to go vote for you if you send them a letter, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and say something nice about your party. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you worked for one political party. Yes, right. Understood, yeah. okay. Guys, wh wh where did you get your start here? I am uh, a mathematician by schooling. So uh, oh. I did my PhD in math and then I got a postdoc uh, and uh, that was not really related to the data, but more like into fundamental math. And around that time, uh, I uh, jumped into crypto, uh, first as a uh, scientist. So I was developing a consensus protocol. And uh, after that, I got uh, another job at Joystream, where I started to develop an indexer. So you started Joystream? Yeah. Oh, okay, so, gotcha. Uh, subsequent originally started as an internal project for indexing data for Joystream. Right. And then uh, we just saw like a lot of demand from other projects and uh, something that started as a hackathon submission, I think it was Hakusama 2021. I think. After a year, it just became clear that it's better to spin off like a separate company and like develop the ideas that we introduced internally for Joystream. When we say we index data, this means that We've collected it and organized it, and now it's available for other people. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So basically, uh, out of raw transaction data that was uh, in the Joystream blockchain, yeah, uh, we ended up having a powerful GraphQL API, so that you can see uh, video descriptions, uh, channel titles, everything that you would expect seeing on a YouTube page. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is completely impossible to do if you were bringing this data directly from the blockchain node sure, through yeah. the RPC endpoint. Right. So uh, basically the, the moral here is that as long as you are building any meaningful application, uh, you need to have an indexer because mm -hmm. the uh, RPC nodes are not really designed to be used against uh, rich UI. Of you course. have to have a 
completely different model for this. Understood. And so my background, we I used to work for, I'm still involved with a, a company in the space called Onfinality, which runs a lot of these RPC nodes that Dimitri mentioned. And we were talking to many customers in the early days of Polkadot about their, their problems of tooling around building those apps. So a lot of the, this is back in 2020 where some of these parachains are starting to, to launch their, their first kind of test net or standalone substrate chain. And they were starting to think about building those applications on top, you know, these, these core foundational DEXs or um, hubs that they want to build to start showing off the ecosystem. And the biggest challenge they had was of uh, the tooling was, was data availability, was being yeah. able to access it on-chain data. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what indexing is, is about. And so we kept hearing this when we were talking to all these different parachains, they're all saying the same thing about this challenge. And that's why we decided to build um, Subquery, which similarly to Subsquid, is a process to index um, in your own way, for your own needs, data from any substrate parachain or, um, or the relay chain into a custom format that's custom for your requirements. So I had kind of an interesting experience recently in preparation for funding for the Kusamarian. For the first time in my life, I was a consumer of data. I was going out shopping for a data set. And I asked uh, many people uh, around uh, the ecosystem who were doing data for, for prices. And I, I received a three-digit answers. I received five-digit answers. But it made me wonder, do the people who collect data own the data? It seems like most businesses are built on this. Is it the people who generate the data own the data? Who owns the data? The person who has the data on their disk. Who, who went out to collect it? Yeah, if you, if you have data on your disk, you own the data. I mean, maybe it's a question of who has the right to do what with the data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a little bit different. Uh, but this is, I mean, it actually goes a little bit into copyright law. So there's some established uh, rules on that. Or, yeah. or if you're creating uh, works. Okay, but it's basically copyright law. Um, and then blockchain puts everything into question and basically says there is like an open ledger of information. Let's take your favorite book. Okay. Yeah. And, and I don't know what it is, maybe let's imagine it's Harry Potter, The Prisoner of Azkaban, okay? What a great you know? guess. Great book. Yeah. You get a million space monkeys in a room and you get them typing away on keyboards and they might create that book. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so in a way, then who can own a book, right? It's just a random collection of ordered letters. Yeah. And then who owns 26 letters of the alphabet? No one does, really. Right, right. But it kind of comes back to that, which is that the person that spent the time to organize and collect that data kind of owns that data. And they yeah. can choose to make that open source, they can choose to provide that to the community, or they right. can choose to kind of hoard it away. Hmm. Um, the data that we create on blockchain, it, it generally is all sourced from open source kind of common information. The yeah. data that we source when we're indexing and, and aggregating information and insights and deriving these insights from that data is all from public blockchains. It's a bit uh, different uh, and challenging in, in blockchain space to assign data ownership, as James explained. I would say you can have different data owners at each um, layer of tr data transformation. So in, in the raw uh, data layer, obviously the data owners uh, should be the producers of, of the data. But, but then when you add different consumers and users of that data, uh, who either model it, uh, transform it, aggregate it, and, and um, apply some uh, specific knowledge to that raw data, then you get, have new uh, type of owners to the data. So it's really a network of ownership, and it's really uh, difficult to, to kind of uh, differentiate who is the, the real right. data owner. I can add that like in blockchain, we have a very peculiar situation where the raw data is a common good, 
So in yeah. principle, everyone has access to this data. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the cost of the resulting data set is really about the uh, resources spent on deriving this. So I believe that it's going to be even more commoditized and basically like who has the best tools has the best price for it because uh, you can try to put this data into, uh, I don't know, like say Postgres database, which is like good for small data sets, but not very good for large data sets. And then uh, if someone asks you like a question about this data, it's gonna cost you a lot more if you're using, uh, com like compared to the situation where you have like a better suited tool. So um, at the end of the day, it's more like uh, finding the right tool to deal with this data. And uh, I think that we actually have made uh, like a general in ecosystem a great progress understanding what is the right tooling for the data, uh, like a specific data formats that we have, and like how to deal with this data at scale, like what is good for smaller, uh, what is good for analytics, what is good for applications, because actually it's a completely different tool set. Mm. That's why, uh, and, and like in Web2 world, that's been like for a decade, I think, and while in Web3, we just like came to the realization that uh, these tools exist and we just need to use it in the right way, not just like put everything into Postgres. We're just kind of the default way to doing this like even two, three years ago. This is why you feel so connected to Web3 because it democratizes the access. Yeah, yeah. And so previously, let's say certain financial transactions, only financial institutions had the resources to access the information or even could shut it off from the public, right? And so since we have a much easier time now accessing those transactions, more people have the possibility to take the data and transform it in a way that is useful. Right, so this is sort of one of the one of the big movements that are feeding into Web3. So it's interesting that everything's more open and we have greater access. But what sort of challenges does that bring up? So there's a few aspects, and 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 blockchain, um, the data, the way it's stored on a blockchain, we've built indexes kind of solve this problem. But at, at it's fundamental. It's still quite messy in terms of of how that data is structured and how it's stored because it's kind of stored to be a, in a performant way for the blockchain but not in a performant way for analyzing that data. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of convoluted to be a really efficient way to store it but doesn't make it easy to, to derive insights from. In Polkadot specifically though, we have this major issue which is that there is data spread across 40 different parachains. And counting. And counting. And every, every week or so there's a new one. Yeah. And so for us, one of the biggest issues is, is how do we kind of, well, do we keep look at these 40 parachains as independent kind of city-states and yeah, yeah. Other, you know, analyze them in their, in their, by themselves? Or do we look at Polkadot as an entire ecosystem? And I think the answer we kind of know is what we're trying to do is to look at it as an entire ecosystem. Okay. But it, provide, it serves those problems of how do we combine all those data sets into one? And then how do we normalize it so that this chain here that does something slightly weird with that with that palette and saves data slightly differently, how do we normalize that so it's the same over here? And how do we kind of get it in a combined way so we can easily see across ecosystem? But how, how, how huge is this data set? Must be massive. Oh, tell me. How, uh, terabytes. Uh, like two more, or 20? What, uh, what's your data, data set size? It depends what type of data set you're asking for. The raw blocks, right? Yeah. Just all the data in the blocks for all the chains might be, I don't know, multiple hundreds of terabytes for all the parachains, right. But multiple hundreds? If, yeah. If you add all of them, tumble them and take the traces, take all the stuff and yeah, really put it together, right. right. 
Now, the analytical part, that is where the knowledge should be, like if you eliminate all the um, data that is necessary for the blockchain to validate things, that are not useful to answer questions like who sent transactions to whom, right? Yeah. If you eliminate all of that, it reduces it by multiple orders of magnitude. So the more knowledge and insights you add, the smaller the data set becomes. And what we have been building is really taking the blocks, store them, and make only the analytical part accessible, which is makes the like, query, I don't know, 100 times faster and shuffles through less data and makes it easy accessible. So raw data is a lot, and usually anywhere, like if you're messing with raw data, it's a huge data set, but it's usually not the one that is used to derive insights and to make things available in apps, like in indexes. Okay. People who validate blockchains will tell you it's a lot because running archive nodes, making the disks available, it's a huge work that is necessary to have teams around it. It doesn't sound like something that many people could actually do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the issue that uh, even though we all say that this data is public and everyone right. can access this data, yeah. in practice there is like a very huge barrier for entrance because even for running a node, uh, First, you have to do uh, like a set up this process, and second, you have to have a beefy machine to run on it. And this is just like for one network, for Polkadot or like for Kusama. And uh, if we are talking about like 40 networks or so, it's just completely impossible for a single human to do this. Sure. And I mean, the com like huge companies like on Finality, I don't know like how many people are working on this. Like 10 maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just. Certainly, seems like an overkill just like to get this data because you don't have to run the node just like to get the insights about this data, right? And at the same time, it should be like fair for everyone, so you can verify it, you can get access. So I think that's a big challenge for us as an ecosystem to basically uh, simplify for normies this access to this data and make it completely neutral so that uh, we do not really go into the model of uh, like huge data monopolies basically like control the whole market and you just like pay them to get this data back. Yeah, sure. I think another challenge we have in Polkadot is we're just coming out of this explosive growth phase. We've got a lot of different standards of how things are done. So there are they're like three different token standards, you know, the RML palette, um, the balances palette. I think there's another one coming out there. You've got like five different NFT standards kind of coming through as well. Um, and so when you when you ask a question like, can you give us a, a number of, tell us how many NFTs there are in Polkadot. So, well, what shit. do you mean? Well, like, do you mean just those <laughs> NFTs or those ones or those ones or those ones? Um, and, ah. and so that makes it really hard for us, um, people that manage and, and analyze data, is that we have to kind of understand all of these different standards and, as I said, normalize it all together. So I think we're going to find over the next year um, more, there's some efforts happening right now for Polkadot standards um, to come through around some standards that all these parachains can kind of agree on to implement. Um, and that will help people with data in Polkadot because they won't have to deal with you know, five different NFT standards. Yes, okay, understood. Go ahead, Tom. I want to give one very specific example recently. There has been for many months um, on Kusama or Polkadot, I don't know, there were thousands of transfers every day that failed. Yeah. Thousands of transfers. And if you, I, I guess every one of us was looking at this and sometimes seeing it, yeah? If you look at SAP, scan or any other explorer you could see those failed transactions and it was thousands and thousands of dollars all from one account wasted over months and it's 
there are so many single instances of things where I say, oh, that's weird, but you never have the time to look at it. Yeah. Because there is always a human who has to look at it and take the time against all the other things you have to do. Right. right? But then recently, meaning. what have you made the post? A data analyst of our team made that analysis correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the result? How, many mo how much money was wasted on transactions? Around five millions. Yeah. Wait, five million dollars? Why were these happening? Why were these transactions happening? Well, we can make guesses and hypotheses, but I don't have the answer, unfortunately. So we detailed that in the Polkadot forum as an explanation. Can give you access to the data and have a look yourself. Mm. It could be something like a, an exchange that's right. failing all the time, but it's oh. very much unclear. Could be a bug, right, in some exchange, how they handle, I don't know, transaction, things like that. Jeez. It looks small on a block scale, but if you aggregate it over multiple blocks over time, yeah. it adds up. To it's just, just fees, five million in fees yes. gone because it fails all the time. That the is thing about something. blockchain, right? All this data is public, so you can all see it. Yeah. But it's hard to know what was behind the story. And okay. uh, yeah, in a way, so, like yeah. if it was banking, like we wouldn't know about it, you know? We'd just be <laughs> happily unaware of these things. But because we yeah, can it see it. It definitely looks like a good use case for Polkadot Fellowship or something for like a person who constantly looks and stares in this data and like, uh, or just one time bounty, like to uh, basically figure out like what's going on. I wanted to reflect on the bounty. This is something that we are now jointly as, as data pr practitioners within the ecosystem yeah, let's working on. Uh, so we want kind of uh, want to um, aggregate all of these different uh, and similar data initiatives under one umbrella so that we can have multiple teams uh, kind of contributing to, to the common layers, to the common data platform where we could reduce some of the redundancy, some of the costs that each of the teams has when building their own data pipelines, investing in infra infrastructure, uh, etc. So uh, this is in work in progress. There is a, a publicly available uh, data charter that anyone can look, look into and express their interest in either being the curator or being the contributor to the bounty. Essentially, we want to kind of uh, converge different data initiatives into kind of open source collaborative uh, layer. How do you do that? We aim to put it under one Polkadot Data Alliance bounty, yeah. where we could have contributing teams to, uh, for example, uh, raw data collection, deriving insights and standardization of metrics, visualizations of data, and also, uh, very importantly, integration of Polkadot data to other platforms where we are either underrepresented or uh, not represented uh, as a whole ecosystem, uh, rather just the relay chain. So it's a it's a large initiative, but dealing with almost two dozen data um, practitioners, data teams within the ecosystem, we see there's an opportunity for uh, to streamline these these processes. Okay, and the idea is to have a bounty. So take a piece yeah. of the treasury and incentivize people to exactly. bring these sets together. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you guys aware of this? Yeah. Well, how, how, would the, how would this change the landscape of, of Polkadot if, if something like this went through for you guys? I think this probably makes Polkadot a bit more transparent in terms of if, if you come to this, this alliance or this bounty with a question of like, how would I go about collecting this information or sourcing this data? Um, it's more just like there's one group of people that can share that knowledge. Because there's a lot of people in this ecosystem that kind of know about where to find this and how to find this and how to do it, um, but don't have the time, right? It's all about time. 
Um, and this, this alliance of sorts will, I think, help us make things more transparent to, to people looking in around how they can go out and do this. Cool. Yeah, I think it's definitely like a net positive for the whole ecosystem because right now I think uh, it's like if you compare it with a real life infrastructure, everyone has its own car and like driving. Right. And instead we're going to replace it with a huge bus or a train where everyone can hop in and hop off. And so the cost is like definitely orders of magnitude lower, like just like to get this data and do whatever you want. And uh, because like, I think at least five teams in the space are doing pretty much the same job of uh, taking this data from RPC nodes, the stationing somewhere, and then like working it. I want that why I want. And it's definitely something that is redundant and uh, it can be simplified. I think it's a, like a very great initiative. What does this do for Pogolytics? The world is much brighter when you can stand on the shoulder of giants. Yeah, yeah, right, nice. I, I've built an, an indexer actually. So I was doing my taxes and I couldn't do my taxes. Yeah. Because um, you have you have basic tax tools that allow you to see transfers that you're doing on Polkadot. But once you're doing, because Substrate and Polkadot is so expressive in, in what you can do with a single transaction, it's hard to look into what's actually happening just uh, by looking at the outside. Yeah. So it could be a swap, it could be you buying and selling NFTs, it could be you doing something on lending or scheduling a task that's going to get executed in the future and then doing all kinds of things. So there is a, a lot of uh, hidden meaning behind every transaction, right? Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't do the taxes for myself for all the pair chains that were already live. Right. And so I started coding tools that helped me in the process. And, and then I realized, okay, it would be helpful for others because I was talking at conferences with people and they said, oh, this would be really helpful to have something like this. So I started building it into a product where you can take a, put in your address and it looks at all the chains and gives you a report, an Excel file that you can then use to prepare your tax filing with a tax consultant or on your own. So this is the basic idea, but most of the time right now, I'm just having conversations with people that are looking at data and, and see what we can do together. Uh, and sometimes have a very specific product of extracting specific information where you say, I want to know everyone who was buying an, a Remark NFT in this, in this time frame. Yeah, right? some very specific, so, specific requests. questions that yeah. you want answered. So this is something when I have uh, time on the side, I'm focusing on something like this. So for example, right now I have a treasury, treasury grant to, to build uh, a website if you're into data. It's called the, the Polkadot Data Ecosystem. So if you're into data and you want to dig into it or find something out, it's a website that collects all the information on what tools are there, what platforms, what data sets, what teams are working on it, what previous research is there. Right, right. Standards and definitions. So if you want to get a head start, this is basically a collection of links to everything that is important in the Polkadot ecosystem. Okay, so this has been a very interesting discussion for me so far. Um, one thing I don't understand though, yet, in the blockchain world we're all about openness and decentralization, right? But it kind of seems like these massive hundreds of terabytes of data sets, they can't exist in many places at once. Aren't they probably like on a few servers and, and that's it? Is, is that basically the idea? Like we could take we could take out a data set with one big fire, or, or, or what, what? What's the truth about um, that? So right now the setup 
as um, you know, uh, James and Dimitri explained, there are multiple teams doing kind of the same things at the same time. Uh, okay. So there are there's some sort of decentralization, but no coordination, right, into mm -hmm. these things. Sometimes uh, we talk, and that's why we try to do that with this initiative. There are technical ways of making sure that these data sets are distributed, but also being accept like the querying of these data set can also be distributed. Yeah. I will showcase some of that tomorrow in the data talk that I will hold with the technologies that we have in the ecosystem today. There's not a product yet available, but this will be something that we will discuss all together. We have some uh, things based on storage that will be paid by Treasury for everyone to access to, and other, I would say, technical solutions. Um, ideally, you know, it's, it's a cheap data set in the sense that if we lose it, we can reconstruct it, right? It's all from chain, yeah. and we can spin up archive nodes here and there and get it back. So the risk of losing it is not that high as long as we have the chains running. Um, making it accessible and getting all that effort invested, that's what will be lost at the end. The, the magic of what we do is, is more around building a recipe for how you mutate the raw data into something uh, that okay. is useful. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as we don't lose that recipe, which is just a, uh, some code around how to mutate or migrate or change some data or pull this off and combine it with this, as long as we don't lose that recipe, we can repeatedly do it again. And that's, that's kind of what we're all trying to aim for, is just to determine the sickness of that process. Mm -hmm. So if we replace one archive node with another, we can do the same process and the same data set results. The data set that comes out, though, yes, it is large. And there are some big um, data sets sitting there and some providers. I think you guys have some in GCP, um, right? Yeah. And so do you guys have yeah. GCP? Yeah, there's some like big lakes out there of these data sets. But the whole point is that recipe there is anyone can do that again themselves and put it into their own place wherever that it should be. We are building the subscript network. We are uh, solving the problem of decentralized access for uh, very huge amounts of on-chain data. So the idea is that everyone will be able to uh, join the network at the worker node. So you store a piece of the data uh, and that can be uh, from any chain. And uh, not only your are storing this data, but you can also, but you also provide access for this data for uh, data transformers that are uh, down the road. So basically, no matter how much data you have, like terabytes or so, it will be distributed across the participants of the network, and uh, anyone will be able to extract exactly the data that you need for your own purposes. Uh, and uh, this is limited for now only for the raw on-chain data, so it's assumed to be used together with uh, other indexers or like data transformation tools or whatever, but it radically solves the problem of uh, access this huge amount of data through RPC nodes or like through uh, centralized solutions like BigQuery or something. So uh, it's like a step to make this data truly accessible at a scale. Yeah, and uh, since it's decentralized, uh, it can scale to pretty much indefinite amounts of data as long as people join the network. And you're incentivizing the storage of this data on this network? Uh, yeah, that is in, in the roadmap. Uh, at the first iteration, uh, we will uh, provide the data sets ourselves. Yeah, uh, and uh, it is very cheap to just like store the data, but uh, the magic happens when you make this data available for querying. So right. basically, we first uh, just control the storage, 
and the uh, worker nodes that join the network will take small pieces out of this permanent storage so that it becomes distributed and redundant. So even if one worker goes offline, others will store this small piece, so the data is never lost. What's the hardware of these worker nodes? It's uh, pretty standard, so in order to join uh, the network you would need a half terabyte SSD disk uh, for vCPU and uh, something like 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM. But this is like a, it's a huge margin. So we expect like to have uh, 50, then maybe 100 of workers, but then like as long as the number of workers grows, you can handle terabytes of data with ease and you can easily onboard new networks. And uh, then, uh, for example, if a new parachain comes in, it will be trivial for them to join the network and contribute their data there, and it will be automatically replicated. So it will be accessible to everyone on the market like to do any kind of transformations or indexing and data access. Are you guys going to launch a parachain, a network? Um, currently, uh, we are going for a testnet that is built on a smart contract, because it's just a lot easier to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in the future, uh, we might uh, go for a parachain if we actually see uh, the technical feasibility for it. Because uh, in many ways, uh, uh, smart contracts are good if you don't need to do a lot of uh, high frequency and low latency stuff. Sure. In our case, it's mostly going off-chain, and the on-chain part is mostly for distributing incentives through the worker yeah. nodes. Yeah. So for now, uh, that's going to be uh, well, smart contract based. Ah, that's exciting, fascinating stuff. And you guys have a big thing that just happened. Yeah, uh, in terms of data accessibility and yeah. dem democratizing the access for the Polkadot uh, ecosystem data, as of recently, uh, Polkadot and Kusama datasets have been publicly available in uh, Google BigQuery. This is leveraging on, on the Substrate ETL that uh, Color from Notion team uh, has built. You probably know them from their Polkaholic uh, indexer. And this has been kind of uh, a huge step into making uh, our data more accessible to for example, multi-chain uh, analytics platforms, and basically anyone who has interest in uh, analyzing a Polkadot ecosystem can do it so with a, with a simple SQL and run their own queries and make their own insights. And one of the main challenges was, was making this data set uh, chain agnostic. So you can basically run wow. the same query across multiple parachains in order to aggregate uh, the, the results, because this is something that, um, when you're dealing with raw data, you cannot really apply large-scale large scale, uh, data analytics. And this is a way to uh, make that more accessible, more, more common. And if I just add on to that, so this is particularly difficult in an ecosystem like Polkadot because the chains can evolve, right? The data model can change. So the more specifics you implement in your data import, the more you will have to update them and maintain them and whatnot. So Making them agnostic as possible, make sure that we have some, I would say, we have some time before there's any new update on the data model and the schema that Dima mentioned. Well, um, it's been a really great talk, guys. I've really uh, learned a lot here and, and appreciate your wisdom and your expertise. Um, just to close this off, wondering if you have any advice to uh, 
young uh, datafiles who may be interested in, in getting involved in the Polkadot ecosystem, where would you suggest people start? Just get used to Excel, because basically everything we do is Excel on steroids, so get used to Excel. And if you want to go further than that, go to Subscan, for example. Yeah. Sometimes on the bottom of the page you see the download button and start playing around with data, program something against the API. And generally everyone is very helpful, so... I started last year, I knew nothing, right, uh, on like how to work with that data. Everybody here helped me out to understand how to work with it, what to do. All right, guys, well, thanks so much. Thanks for making sense of uh, everything that's going on on chain here. Looking forward to seeing uh, the improvements uh, in the future. Perfect. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you.